This is Frameform. Hey, hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Jen, Hannah, how are you both doing? Doing pretty, pretty good. How about you, Jen? <laughs> I'm kind of upset because it's our last group recording of the season. But aside oh from yeah, that, is. aside from that, I'm doing great. Excited to talk about today's film. Thank you so much for picking such a unique film that I had not seen before. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of group recording and being in groups, this is a film that really um, has an interesting take on many things, including group dynamics, and really tells its story in a very unique and, may we say, screen dancey kind of way. The film we're discussing today is The Fits, uh, directed by Anna Rose Homer, uh, which was released in 2015. The basic plot of the story is we see a, a young girl in Cincinnati uh, who really essentially trains at a boxing gym for reasons probably related to the fact that her brother also trains there as well. And then she becomes involved in a dance group. We really can't go forward in the story or what happens or provide more details about the story without significantly spoiling the film. So if you want to leave this film unspoiled, uh, we actually recommend go just pause, go watch the film and come back and hear <laughs> us talk about it. Go and watch the fits. Go and watch the fits. Hulu, Roku, Showtime, pay-per-view, or watch for free on Canopy through your local library. Well, listener, I would love to hear what you think about it. And Hannah and Jen, I would love to hear what you two think about it as well. Just what are your initial impressions of the film? Well, one of my initial impressions was that Canopy is a really cool platform. I had actually never heard of it until we started talking about it for this episode. And I had reached my point of streaming exhaustion and browsing exhaustion. I'm at the point where I'll be like, oh, I want to watch something. And I will just scroll for 20 to 30 minutes and realize that really nothing's sparking my interest. So aside from this film being really interesting and different and a great example of beyond spectacle and blurring those lines between a traditional film and screen dance and what can we qualify as a dance film, I was also just really impressed with this as a platform as well. So thank you for bringing that to my attention also. What did you think, Hannah? Um, the, definitely this film was refreshing. Um, coming from my recent watchings has been a lot of, I guess, popular movies, whatever is coming out right now or whatever was popular a couple of years ago. Um, and I mean, a couple of years ago, I mean, just within the 2000s, I haven't watched a lot of uh, foreign cinema or I haven't watched a lot of uh, classic 1960s cinema in a while. And this film definitely gave me that mix between of what you would get in the energy of a foreign film, but yet the quality in storytelling of something that you would get from the 1960s, uh, especially speaking on uh, like kind of some French new wave meets Italian neorealism. Um, I thought it was just really beautiful to watch and observe. That's such a good way of putting it. It did feel kind of like a foreign film, even though it was, you know, made in the U S 
Um, mm-hmm. It definitely seems like an, not like an independent film like we would see now that just feels kind of cool and offbeat and interesting. It definitely seemed like a film festival film, but kind of foreign, just like you said. That's such a good way of putting it. Yeah, just rhythmically, it feels so different from a lot of what we see. And as a as someone watching the film, it requires a different state from a viewer than what um, a traditional, not even mainstream, but just a traditional independent film would. Well, actually, first of all, um, on the Canopy front, Canopy's amazing. Uh, you can get it through your library. Support your local library. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> PSA. And on the, the foreign film front... Even like before the film even begins, it's very, it's always very interesting. I think, Jen, you were reflecting on this maybe even last season, just seeing whenever you're screening films, like seeing who's funding it or seeing who's putting their support behind it. And right from the get go, you see um, the Venice Biennale as a presumably a funder or um, a sponsor of the film in some way. And it does have that feeling. And I think just one of the main things that really stands out about it and the thing that really sets it apart as far as rhythm goes is that it really isn't a dialogue driven film that it really is communicated through really rhythm in in different ways and all all these shifts in rhythm what i love about the minimal dialogue in this is the fact that we can observe as i said earlier i am someone when I'm watching documentaries in particular I want that fly on the wall experience and just let the moments unfold naturally on screen with not a lot of cutting and this film definitely delivered that and especially because it's also a dance film we're letting the movement and the body language speak for themselves and I think with this time of the age being presented on screen, I think body language is the perfect way to showcase them in the most rawest perspective. I think it when you're com- when it comes to a coming to age film, I mean, less is more. Even from the first shot where you make that very bold and potentially risky choice of breaking the fourth wall and the main character, um, Tony, she moves from being completely in view, looking at you and her contraction to being off screen in her release. I just got a feeling that that was setting the precedent for the rest of the film or setting a pattern. And I think one of the themes I picked up on was the difference between effort and ease. Like there's this very, um, you know, you, it's not that you don't see effort in the dance. On the contrary, you actually see like this braggadocio dance battle that really complements um, or contrasts with the boxing world really well but by the time you get that very last shot I was like ah you see her releasing you know into her spell and it's that coming into your own self and finally releasing into nature in a way that just the way that it kind of came full circle there and echoed back to the beginning I thought that was so beautifully and simply done And I know it's not a groundbreaking thing to be like, compare the first shot with the last shot. That's like film 101. (laughs) But it totally worked in a way that I think was effective here. And it was laced throughout the film really beautifully as well. 
Yeah, and I just want to give a shout out right off the bat to Royalty Hightower, who plays Tony in this film. Um, In a very, yeah, again, a very dialogue sparse performance and one that's communicated through body language, which is really hard to do and really hard, I mean, as a young person to be that embodied in your character to communicate those shifts. And you really see the changes between the, like, the strong front that Tony puts on from at the beginning of the film and sort of like emphasizing, you know, not only the strength, but also the tolerance for pain. Uh, I mean, I watched the like the ear piercing scene, for example. It's just just the fact that she really had literally like just sucks it up and takes it. Yeah, like, really takes that takes that thing. Yeah, she's hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Also, something else, a very fun fact about this film. The the dance team that you see in the film is actually um drawn from a real Cincinnati-based dance team. So Anna Rose Holmer is um, actually has some experience with dance film. She was the producer on Ballet 422, which was essentially a process doc on uh, Justin Peck uh, development process. And she found this team on YouTube and essentially workshopped with these uh, dancers and with these performers and workshop them to develop dialogue uh, as well. When they cast Royalty Hightower, they actually had to have the challenge of making her, essentially making her seem like she couldn't dance. Like she actually had to be coached on how not to dance. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's part of the magic of this film and why it comes across so beautifully is that it feels very authentic and you actually have these dancers that have really good group chemistry, seem like they grew up in the same neighborhood. And like you said, they even worked on the dialogue so that it wasn't an adult imagining, oh, this is how young people talk. It was them thinking, this is how I would say it. And I was laughing out loud the way that they were engaging with each other and saying things. And even like, even though having a fit or um, you know, a seizure or some sort of spell is not something to laugh at when the one character, I think it was Beezy, like does the impression mm-hmm. of the other girl, the way she did it. I was like, that is such a way that a little yeah. kid would explain it. And it was really funny. So I think that being collaborative with your cast makes all the difference, especially when you're trying to capture youth. Like it very, you can tell when something is kind of imposed versus authentic and yeah royalty hightower was amazing in this film like such a strong lead and i wouldn't have changed anything about her performance i think what's really interesting about tony in particular in this film is that she's coming from a boxing background where she's literally the only female amongst a group of boys and then sees this dance almost like this foreign mythical thing that is very she doesn't know if she can be a part of it or and she could see if she could do what it takes I'm curious what you guys think about like that transformation into the bo- being being a boxer being tough versus being feminine and having freedom of expression Well, I really like that the dance that's featured is Drill Team. It's not like the obvious contrast of, oh, and she's going to become a ballerina. Like, it just seems a lot more authentic that way. (laughs) Yeah. And like the way that there still is that combat element, like you see the girls doing these dance battles and it is, though there's some like 
feminine touches and like the strutting and the hair flips like there's a lot of aggression and a lot of strength in the movement as well that I think complements and translates really well to the boxing and I think that just made it a lot better um it would have been a little too obvious to make that big of a contrast and try and be like well here's this tomboy learning how to be graceful I really liked that about this film not to mention that you're actually you know giving awareness and showing what real communities are actually doing and showing a type of dance that we don't always see represented like a lot of dance movies are going to focus on ballroom or you know traditional dance studio competition style stuff or you have tv shows with like dance moms or dancing with the stars and you don't often see this style of dance being represented in the media absolutely and I think that the fact that it is a competitive dance team does show that there is a sense, I mean, there really is a sense of competitiveness that's kind of inherent to what they're doing or what they're working toward. But I mean, I guess trope wise, like they're not necessarily working toward a specific competition. Like it really is a, you know, working to, to be a part, you know, to be this cohesive group and, you know, be a part of that group. It almost feels like a shift from sort of like the individuation of, you know, what being a boxer is like towards like what a being a part of a community or a group is like. I think that that, that's also a contrast that we really see in that film and also through what we see these these fits or these episodes that we see what makes you initiated into a group? What makes you a part of this group I feel like in that sense of like being a part of it also is having the drive to be with the rest of the group or keep up with the rest of the group um I mean when we first see them dance together as in her with BZ the crabs uh I, I mean they they look so out of sync they their technique is terrible uh they what was it like they look whack as hell or like something like that (laughs) um and from then on you can tell that she's like trying her best and when she gets to the bridge where she would usually do her her laps on the bridge with her brother she gets up there and she starts doing the jumping jacks and then we hear that beat from her shoes moving to clapping and then she's practicing the routine where I think definitely like the boxing headset where you're like focused and trying to get it against your opponent, but then adding that freedom of expression and movement with the dance. You could see that blend together in that scene where she's like, I'm going to be a part of this and I'm serious about it. And that draws from that very first, you know, that tryout with the crabs and being like, you need to be a part of this family. When you're at school, you're practicing. When you're at home, you're practicing. And she truly gives it her all. And I think she really shines in that moment where she just finally feels like she's working towards something and making something amazing happen. Something I loved about that first practice where they did look, quote unquote, whack as hell, was <laughs> I find that the film's generally shot in a way where you really can relate to them. You don't feel like you're outside of the experience, like this creepy outside voyeur. 
you really I felt connected to Tony's experience especially yes. and I thought it was such a genius choice to have the camera pointing at the lineup of the new dancers and mm -hmm. the coach or the dance captain's like all right here's the combo clap go around head swirl like whatever the choreo is and as a viewer you're like trying to figure out the choreo and it happens so quickly and then you watch them struggle through it i thought that was so brilliant because oh, yeah. obviously part of what we see um you know shapes our what experience you don't but see what you don't also. see exactly in this case i was like that is the way to shoot that for sure because you see the good examples you see the choreography mm -hmm. but being able to empathize with them mm -hmm. where it's like yeah. okay i'm trying to picture this i don't know what she's saying <laughs> here i go i love that 100 percent. i felt that moment too jen i was like how many times have i been in this position where i'm like at a brand new like master class or something and they just go over the routine so quickly and you're like wait a minute what Absolutely. i do it to my students sometimes <laughs> yeah i love i love that scene too and i think it really just speaks to um the feeling of sinking what an internal rhythm would be because we see in that moment you know six or i oh, can't even remember how many girls were in that line but like six different internal rhythms trying to process this other rhythm and of course they're not all in sync and uh, there's a great article uh, that was published in the Screen Dance Journal a few years back that talks about this idea of corporeal orature so essentially like what the body's capacity to communicate through rhythm and to receive rhythm and we really see that amplified to a 10 throughout this film and even some of the the rhythms the shifts of the rhythms between the, the punching bags and like the all the the rhythms of the gymnasium to the rhythms of a dance studio we see those palpable shifts in what these dancers internal rhythms are and especially Tony's as you know she becomes more comfortable with that movement going forward there's this discord throughout the film as well like where the soundtrack is like screechy and off it kind of remind me of like a horror film in that way in some parts where I'm like why do I just feel off and it made me think there was something in the water like the theory that maybe the water is infected I was like it totally is because something's up here it just made the ending that much more sublime and I love that that is when you actually hear I think it's when you hear like music mm -hmm. for maybe the first mm -hmm. or one of the only times in the film. Like it's for a quote unquote dance film. You would almost think, oh, there's going to be a lot of music and the edits are, the, um, edits are going to be really rhythmic and it's going to be all hyper choreographed. And though it's using that language, it's not um, it's not synchronized and you don't get that calm or that ease until the very end sequence and the, it made it that mm -hmm. much more impactful and dreamlike almost and I do have to shout out that I noticed a connection with an episode we did earlier this season because they're in an empty swimming pool and I thought that was really <laughs> yeah awesome. I saw that I thought of that as like obligatory mention empty swimming pool I mean yeah with the dance and the music all together it was really satisfying to finally hear something rhythmic in that last sequence but like watching all the dance prior to that I mean something in the water I mean there's something within side of them in general whether that be 
the attitude or the talent or just the energy being used throughout their movement. Whenever they're shot on screen, they're most of the time in slow motion. You see like the full body react in a way that it's hard to, in a way we can't keep up mm-hmm. with <laughs> when they're recorded at a natural 23 uh, frames per second. Uh, so it's interesting to see that contrast with the boxers being always at a pov angle with them and just static and just going through the motions and the technique of like being on skill versus uh just having your body be like there's that instance when uh her brother does the Mm weigh-in and he has to lose five pounds for his next match where her body is told to be skinny and it's just that's who she is she doesn't have to bulk up or go down it's all about like what she has to serve and I think that's what the girls have in general is they're showing what they have to serve versus what they need to work towards for the men to fit a certain standard the regimen between technique versus expression versus art versus skill there's a lot of differences going on of how that's being portrayed on screen. Well, and I think we owe some of that to the style of dance that they chose because, you know, just use the extreme example of ballet again. Like, Mm -hmm. if it had been ballet, maybe there would have been weigh-ins or, like, flexibility tests and, you know, a a more more objective, like, literally the one character's name is Charisma, Uh you know? The other girl's name is Legs. (laughs) Like, it is more about that individuality and the kind of flavor and personality you bring than can you just do this technical skill on that level. But I also really liked how, and I think it was done really clearly, but not in, like, a forced or leaving something to be desired way. I really like how there was this contrast between, like, the male world and the boxing and even the way that they talked about things versus the female world. Mm-hmm. And totally. I thought I thought it was really well done and it didn't seem too contrived. It seemed pretty authentic. Like, okay, this is believable. It's not just designed for the movie. Taking a look at the movement of the dancers and the rhythm that's being developed between them, we see a sense we start to see a sense of disruption through each dancer going through a sort of episode in a way, which really gives the title of the film its name. So when developing the script, it's very interesting that um, Anna Rose Homer was actually inspired by real-life stories of communities succumbing to fits of so-called hysteria for some unknown reason. Um, There's a very famous case in the Middle Ages of um, like the dancing plague, as well as several documented cases of certain uncontrolled or um, unconscious twitching in this case we we don't exactly find out what it is we don't know what caused it quite frankly we can't be sure that every experience is necessarily a genuine experience of illness but it does serve as a sense of foreboding in that everybody is going to get it if you don't have it it is coming I think it's beautifully crafted where 
I was uncertain the entire film. Like, Same. I didn't even know what I felt about it. I definitely was thinking, like, mm, this is teenage girl group think. Like, they're just pretending. If they became more frequent as the film went on, it became kind of confirmed that it might not be the water because Tony was still washing herself with the water and drinking the water and the guys weren't getting it. I think BZ said, like, maybe it's like a boyfriend <laughs> disease, you know, like, because all the girls yeah. that have boyfriends that were getting it. But I really thought that was so well done. It kept me on edge the entire time because I wasn't even, I didn't even have a confident theory where I'm like, oh, it's definitely this, it's definitely that. And to even learn about it, like, I, I decided to only read about the film after I watched it because I wanted to just go in blind because that was... Claire's advice for this it's like you don't want to know too much before but even just reading the about these you know the dancing plague in the middle ages or that this happened in 2007 in Virginia I was like that sounds so bizarre but there's so many mysteries in life that we never figure out yeah I'm definitely like still confused (laughs) slash trying to understand what the whole seizure episode was all about especially when um especially when BZ had her episode where she's just like holding her head and her ears on the ground I I just don't even know what to think about it Uh, but when we get to Tony's episode she's floating she feels like she's soaring she is just on cloud nine at this point where we're seeing the visuals of all of the dancers in their attire that they would wear for the parade and they're dancing in the all the locations that we see in the film i just don't know if we could say like this is a positive thing this is a negative thing uh why is it only happening to the girls and not the guys I'm just kind of boggled. I just don't even know. <laughs> a little technical thing about the actual movement uh, of these uh, so-called fits. So Celia Rosen Hall, uh, who some of you may know from other dance films, um, Ma was probably her epic, but she's been um, creating and releasing films. Um, we actually discussed one of her films, uh, Taxi, in a previous episode. Love Taxi. Yeah, so good. So she actually worked with each dancer individually to construct what their fit would look like. And the only time that anyone else would see them was when they started filming. And I think it's very important to notice the the nature of seeing and the nature of spectatorship when these events are happening or the nature of... Um, sort of this, you know, gawking spectatorship versus, you know, sort of like a happenstance kind of thing. For instance, we see in one of the earlier fits that someone looks like she's going through a very guttural, painful experience. Everybody has their phone out. Everybody is kind of gawking at Mm -hmm. what's going on versus something like one of the fits in the gym where someone it just appears to go into our other world away from the group or even Tony's at the end where she really is walking away from the group and gets, you know, stricken in a way. 
so I think it's very interesting to see like what that the nature of spectatorship is in this case and like whether the those who are afflicted how aware they are of eyes on them or how aware they are of being seen yeah I love the individuality of the choreography and that there was that surprise even for people on set when they were filming I think that just adds so much more to it and you could coach or you could direct people to have a certain reaction, but there's something about it being natural that makes it that much more impactful when you're watching it. I also think that because it is, you know, we're referring to things that have spontaneously happened throughout history, but it really is an allegory for coming of age and becoming a woman and releasing, mm-hmm. you know, control and just getting mm-hmm. onto the other side of that thing that the group is sort of randomly going through at different times. I just love how that was done. And yeah, the the difference in reactions really kind of speaks to the power dynamics and the characteristics of each person. And mm-hmm. I definitely felt super gross watching the one that you're referring to. I think it was legs maybe mm-hmm. um, where she's on yeah. the ground. Like she looks like she's in pain, you know, like you said, compared to the others that they're floating or they just look out of it. And that exploitation of that very personal moment, mm-hmm. I think that was something really important to include because that's also part of coming of age and that's also part of group dynamics is that, you know, some people have genuine concern, but there's also this kind of sick fascination or exploitation of these vulnerable moments as well. And that was really tough to watch, but I think it's important that it was in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of... I don't know, with the whole water theme and especially, like, going to the hospital because of these fits, there is a part of me that was thinking about places like Flint, Michigan, and how these communities are being affected in a way. And then, like, with those phone and the exploitation of just, like, what like see what the these this water is doing to these communities um which i mean cincinnati flint michigan totally far away from each other but it is kind of like a a commentary on these types of communities that are being affected that need to be addressed and how we you know they rely on places like a community center to get together and do things together as their chosen family in a way and get the resources that they need in a way exactly yeah I mean I think it's hard especially considering when the film was released which I believe was about a year into the Flint water crisis it's really hard to separate it from those events and considering that it seven years later three presidential administrations have completely you know still continue to brush this over is I mean, it's kind of, it's horrifying in a way. And I think that even with the reactions of the community when they're like, no, it wasn't the water, I think it also speaks to a distrust of of leadership and sort of like a a futility for, you know, sol- having these problems solved or having like real attention brought to the problems. I thought it was so cute that on a light note, um, <laughs> but still really does. I thought it was so cute when they had the, um, like the biohazard crew come in and you don't see them, but you hear the kids talking about it. And it's like, they look like astronauts. And it just kind of <laughs> emphasizes that, like, there's some real heavy stuff potentially going on. 
but to see it with the child's innocence really kind of shows you that not everyone's fully aware of the severity. Mm -hmm. And to me, it just makes me that much angrier (laughs) because the adults in charge, the people that can, are the policymakers, the people that are able to make the change. It's like, you're affecting the future. You're affecting this next generation. And they don't even fully, you know, they think it's a boyfriend disease. Mm -hmm. They don't even fully understand how potentially harmful it is. And yeah, when it, when it comes out in the plot, and they say, oh, it's not the water. And people kind of, like, throw their hands up. And they're like, oh, sure, sure it's not. I felt the same way. I was like, you're probably just saying mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, you probably just haven't proved or disproved it. Or you can't really fix it. Or you can't really trace it. So that's just a way to throw your hands up and say it's going to be fine. And these things are just going to continue. I think on a light, on another lighter note, talking about the childhood innocence and also feeling like you were a part of this group of girls um, moments that I have to bring up that I absolutely loved was uh, one moment was when they were mopping the floor in the gymnasium it made me think of all those times that we would just randomly do that before and after dance class because of all the dust on the ground or even just uh dancing in a random space where you could practice for a couple minutes with like a couple of your friends um waiting when waiting for your ride or like go, taking your ride home like all of that I think was just captured so well uh, and I hope more people see this movie to get that relationship out of it I loved when Beezy was just like, run, run, jeté, run, run, jeté, just randomly in the gym, and the camera <laughs> yeah. just kind of lingers, and you're like, yeah, I totally do that when there's a big open space and there's nothing else to do. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that the film really does um, empathize with the experience of a very young person and doesn't infantilize that experience. It really, you know, helps, is a way of, you know, showing this person discovering the world and the audience really discovering the world around them at the same time. And I just think it's beautifully crafted in that regard. It was such a good choice for our Beyond Spectacle episode. I mean, every season we kind of have our set episodes that we want to cover, like Location Scout, or we have our interviews. And we Mm -hmm. always want to do a Beyond Spectacle where we pick something that may or may not be considered a quote-unquote dance film or quote-unquote screen dance and this was just such a great choice and I love that it really does intersect with the dance film world we know you know real dance crews that we know Mm -hmm. and it's different than any other choice we've had so thank you so much for bringing the suggestion to the table Claire and for sharing your canopy account with us oh absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah go to town on that go to town I I usually never get through the credits in a month so (laughs) Yeah, but thank you, thank you, Anna Rose Homer, for making this film and for you know getting the the funding for it. I think that the budget was around one hundred eighty thousand, and I think you know the gross was roughly around that as well. And every independent, every film really, but especially independent film, is a labor of love, and it's very clear a lot of love went into this one. And with that, we have to bid adieu to. Our season of frame form. I'm in denial. (laughs) (laughs) But it's been a great year of talking and watching and listening 
on all the topics that we talked about. And if you're want if you want more, why don't you just go back to season one and then hit play <laughs> and just go all the way through. Good call. That that'll that'll tide you over for a few days and then well, you're just gonna have to wait for season four. And of course, if you have any ideas, any movies you really want us to check out, any topics, any location scouts, we would love to hear from you. It's something that we started in season one, talking to our not yet existence audience, (laughs) saying, hey, send us ideas, send us announcements. And now it's so cool that a few years later, we really do have real people that listen to the show, that engage with us, that send us comments, send us emails. So please, while we're in the off season and we're planning cooking up our ideas for next year, send us any suggestions. We would really love to hear from you. Jen, Claire, I think it's time to sign out. Peace, everybody. Thanks for everything. It's been awesome. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com and engage with us on social at frameformpod. That's frameform, P-O-D. If you like what you're hearing, leave a review and rate the show. It really helps out. And if you know someone who also likes dance or film, join the conversation and bring your friends.